0: Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is Great Big History Podcast. And in this episode, we're do the Ottoman Turks. Or we're going to do part one of the Ottoman Turks, at least the rise of the Ottoman Turks and why they're successful. So on our map, the Ottoman Empire will dominate the Middle East, parts of North Africa, parts of Southeastern Europe, uh, and do so from roughly the 1200s after the Mongols come through. Uh, they t- needed a little ramp up time until basically 1900, 1915. So before we get to the Ottoman Turks, we have to start with the Sejuk Turks. The Sedjuk Turks ran the Turks. The Turks mean a language group. And what happened in the early Middle Ages is, or the late Classical Age, is in Central Europe, not Central Europe, Central Asia, from the Ukraine all the way to Mongolia to China. Turkish-speaking people won. They defeated the Persian-speaking peoples. And this is a lot of the... And they'll create what becomes a lot of the stands. You know, Turkmenistan, obviously. Um, And what happened is one of those groups, one of those Turkish-speaking groups, entered into the Middle East, probably as mercenaries for the uh, Abbasids. That's a history 101 thing. And... Then went into, they took over much of the Middle East. They, they went kind of like the Matrix or like Terminator. They started as soldiers and they went, wait a minute, we're more powerful than the people we're working for. Why are we listening to them? And so they started to beat up the Arabs. And then they entered into uh, Asia Minor. And the thing about Asia Minor is it looks just like home for the Turks. The Middle East did not look like Central Asia. The Middle East is a giant-ass desert with a couple of giant-ass rivers, lots of cities. It was it, it was foreign. It didn't look like home. Central Asia is a giant flat plateau, great for horses, and the Turks were horse people. They cross over the Tarsus Mountains. They enter into Asia Minor, and it looks just like home. It is a piece of Central Asia thrust out into the Mediterranean. And so they're determined to stay, and that group is called the Sejuk Turks, because the leading family was the Sejuk. They begin overrunning Asia Minor, which was owned by the Romans, owned by the Byzantine Empire, after the Battle of Manzikert in 1071. It gets even worse after 1204, when the Fourth Crusade sacked Constantinople. With the destruction of Constantinople, or the sacking of Constantinople, um, you have a Byzantine Empire called the Latin Empire. You have a couple of Byzantine states, and you can see them on this map. The Empire of Nicaea, the Empire of Trebzon. They're not really empires, but the Latin Empire was the Crusaders. Nicaea and Trebzon were successor states to the Byzantines. They're orthodox. And basically, they're all weak. And so what it looks like is the Cedric Turks are going to take over. They look like the successors to the Byzantines. The Byzantine Empire got smashed, broken to pieces. Didn't even own Constantinople for a little while. And the Cedruks are like, here we are. We're tough, we're powerful, we're on the plateau, we're winners. Finally, it's going to happen. What they didn't expect was someone even more powerful to show up, and that was the Mongols. And in 1242, the Mongols enter Asia Minor. They had entered the Middle East, beat up lots of people, who basically said, wait, the Turks are... You think we're tough. The Turks are even tougher than us. And I said, oh, yeah? Who are these Turks? Like, they're over the mountains in Asia Minor. And the Mongols said, fine. They crossed over Asia Minor. They crossed over the mountains into Asia Minor. Met the Cedric Turks. Said, hey, I heard you're tough. Cedric Turks said, yeah, we're tough. We're going to take over all this land. And by the way, you're going to give back the Middle East to us. And the Mongol said, oh, yeah? over your dead body and then the Sedjuk Turks said uh what and there was a big battle and the Mongols crushed them the Mongols obliterated the Sedjuks. They're, they're gone they're gone from history and if you take a look at our little map in the lower right hand corner you'll see what happened the Cedric empire broke up into lots of little pieces the Mongols basically took a giant sledgehammer to the window that was the Cedric Turks and just smashed it all to pieces. So the Turks break up into many small successor kingdoms. They start fighting among themselves over which Turkish group, which Turkish family is the toughest Turkish family. Meanwhile, the Byzantines, or I should say, the Kingdom of Nicaea, Says, uh, okay, attacks Constantinople, gets into Constantinople, reestablishes the Byzantine Empire and goes, whew. And so the Byzantine Empire will survive for a little while more. In the meantime, in all of these wars that are going on, the winner is going to be the Ottomans. Now, if you take a look at the little map, there's a group led by a dude called Osman. O-S-M-A-N. He's actually on the border of the Byzantine Empire. He's pretty, pretty high up. That's the guy who will win. He conquers the other Turkish leaders, beats most of them up, marries into a few of their families, and in the end, consolidates, reunites the Turks of Asia Minor into an empire, into at least a kingdom. And this is the start of a long series of conquests. First is the Ottoman Empire. Not the Ottoman Empire, I'm sorry. First is Asia Minor. Then parts of Byzantine Europe. Southeastern Europe, Greece, Bulgaria, Serbia. These are um, do two things. One, it provides a lot of land and thus money and denies that land and money to the Byzantines. It's, it's basically starving the Byzantines for cash from one of their hinterlands. The other is it's, you're going to use that cash to go beat up the Arabs, it goes, it takes that money, and then goes to the Middle East, and it beats, beats up its competitors in the Middle East. Baghdad, which had been smashed in 1258, and especially Egypt, which they'll conquer in 1517. And then they'll turn around and beat up the rest of Slavic Europe, Southeastern Europe. And there's one place we haven't talked about. So... But they are the victorious successors to the Cedrics, who were, again, remember, destroyed by the, the Mongols. And so they're going to create an empire that stretches from Germany to the Persian Gulf, to Morocco, to Somalia. Like, this is a major empire full of lots of different people. And is very successful and combines many of the trade routes that are coming through from India and China into Europe. So they dominate the end of the Silk Road, the Silk Road that is coming out of China across Central Asia into the Middle East. They own the the last third they own the most important part. They own the part that turns r- wholesale into retail, and they are the kind of the the Costco where bulk goods are coming in and people are showing up to buy it at high prices. So that equals money. That money uh, allows them to buy and invest in huge technology, and especially high end technology is gunpowder. The Turks are really our first kingdom that uses gunpowder, especially cannon, in a historically significant way. They also have a multi-ethnic empire, so they're tolerant. Greeks, Europeans, Slavs, Arabs, Jews, all can have success. Europeans, Greeks, Arabs, Africans though I don't know much about Africans in the Turkish Empire that's that's interesting I don't really know but Europeans, Greeks, Arabs all find success, especially and Jews Jews fleeing Spain, England uh, France, Kent, North North Africa well they go to North Africa uh, parts of Italy will all go to the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans were perfectly happy to bring them in and use their talents to get wealthier. The most famous use of foreigners by the Ottomans are the Janissaries. J-A-N-I-S-S-A-R-I-E-S. The Janissaries. These are Christian infantry troops. And they're going to be gunpowder troops. They're going to carry muskets. And they are going to be the best troops of the 1500s. These troops are going to allow the Turks to conquer Southeastern Europe versus medieval knights, and especially conquer Hungary, Uh, a Western European, large Western European Catholic kingdom it allows them to defeat Arab horse cavalry in the 1530s and to defeat Egyptian sword and spear infantry in 1517, in 1517. So you go, well, why Christians? Well, the Turks are horsemen. That's what they're really good at, they're cavalry. And if you're going to fight infantry... You really need more infantry, and see. Here's the thing: Europeans fight in infantry. They have since the Greeks. They have since the Romans. Uh, the medieval knights get a lot of a lot of prestige, sure, um, but European armies, especially in the Middle Ages, we're going to still talk about Slavic armies in the Southeastern Europe, Byzantine armies are still infantry based. And so, if you're going to defeat them, you need infantry. Otherwise, they get into a little box. See, see the Battle of Waterloo. They get into a little box. They get into a square. They put their spears out, and the horses just ride around. Can't do anything. So, at some point, you're going to have to have men on foot fight other men on foot. Now, you could make Turks do that, but Turks aren't good at that, for the most part. They could be, but it's not their forte. Why, why force them to do it when you have in your empire people who are used to fighting in infantry tactics? All of these Christians living in southeastern Europe. And so they'll be recruited and trained and used, and they are are the best troops in the 1500s. They're the most technologically advanced. They are highly disciplined. In an age where it's still a medieval knight and a sword and a horse roaming around the battlefield, these guys walked up in rows and shot you to pieces. Now, there's the one part we didn't talk about, and that's Constantinople. We talked about Southeastern Europe. We talked about Asia Minor. We talked about Egypt and the Middle East. We did not talk about Constantinople. And Constantinople finally falls in 15, 1453. Excuse me. It's 1453. Constantinople falls. The Turks are going to lay siege to the city. It is a major endeavor. They are going to build some of the largest cannon up to that time in order to help break down those walls. These this is a cannon that was so big you could only fire it a couple times a day because it got so hot the metal would melt. The metal would would deform and you'd have to actually kind of repair the guns. You couldn't fire them too much. So what this did, what the conquest of Constantinople did was turn Egypt, turn to Egypt, turn Constantinople from a Christian Orthodox Roman city. This is, uh, if you're on the video, you'll see a picture of the Hagia Sophia, the largest church in the world, at the time in 1550 when it's built. Giant cross at the top. Now, it's not a photo, it's a painting, but it's the Hagia Sophia, largest church in the world. It is in Constantinople. Well, what does it look like today? And it's got four giant minarets. It is still a massive house of worship, so now it's a museum. And they put four minarets up. Why? Because Constantinople is now Islamic. So it's going to turn Constantinople from a Roman Orthodox Christian city, Greek-speaking city, into a Turkish-speaking turkish Islamic city. And that's what it is today. So in our next episode, next episode, we're going to talk about collapse. We're going to talk about why everything looks good everything looks great in fact the Turks are going to make attempts to conquer Europe and come real close to doing so uh, so why does it why why don't they run the world that's what we're going to do in our next episode thank you